Section 5 of Captain Singleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. But to return to the consultations they were in about going. Upon the whole, it was resolved to venture over for the main, and venture we did, madly enough, indeed, for it was the wrong time of the year to undertake such a voyage in that country. For as the winds hang easterly all the months from September to March, so they generally hang westerly all the rest of the year, and blew right in our teeth, so that as soon as we had with a kind of a land breeze, stretched over about fifteen or twenty leagues, and, as I may say, just enough to lose ourselves, we found the wind set in a steady fresh gale, or breeze, from the sea, at west, west-south-west, or south-west-by-west, west, and never further from the west, so that, in a word, we could make nothing of it. On the other hand, the vessel, such as we had, would not lie close upon a wind. If so, we might have stretched away north-northwest, and have met with a great many islands in our way, as we found afterwards. But we could make nothing of it, though we tried, and by the trying had almost undone us all. For stretching away to the north, as near the wind as we could, we had forgotten the shape and position of the island of Madagascar itself, how that we came off at the head of a promontory or point of land that lies about the middle of the island, and that stretches out west a great way into the sea, and that now, being run a matter of forty leagues to the north, the shore of the island fell off again above two hundred miles to the east, so that we were by this time in the wide ocean, between the island and the main, and almost one hundred leagues from both. Indeed, as the winds blew fresh at west, as before, we had a smooth sea, and we found it pretty good going before it, and so, taking our smallest canoe in tow, we stood in for the shore with all the sail we could make. This was a terrible adventure, for if the least gust of wind had come, we had been all lost, our canoes being deep, and in no condition to make way in a high sea. This voyage, however, held us eleven days in all, and, at length, having spent most of our provisions, and every drop of water we had, we spied land to our great joy though at a distance of ten or eleven leagues, and as under the land the wind came off like a land breeze, and blew hard against us, we were two days more before we reached the shore, having all that while with excessive hot weather, and not a drop of water or any other liquor, except some cordial waters, which one of our company had a little of left in a case of bottles. This gave us a taste of what we should have done if we had ventured forward 
with the scant wind and uncertain weather, and gave us a surfeit of our design for the main, at least until we might have some better vessels under us. So we went on shore again, and pitched our camp as before, in as convenient manner as we could, fortifying ourselves against any surprise. But the natives here were exceeding courteous and much more civil than on the south part of the island, and though we could not understand what they said, or they us, yet we found means to make them understand that we were seafaring men and strangers, and that we were in distress for want of provisions. The first proof we had of their kindness was that as soon as they saw us come on shore and begin to make our habitation, one of their captains or kings, for we knew not what to call them, came down with five or six men and some women, and brought us five goats and two young fat steers, and gave them to us for nothing. And when we went to offer them anything, the captain or the king would not let any of them touch it, or take anything of us. About two hours after came another king or captain, with forty or fifty men after him. We began to be afraid of him, and laid hands upon our weapons. But he, perceiving it, caused two men to go before him, carrying two long poles in their hands, which they held upright, as high as they could, which we presently perceived was a signal of peace. And these two poles they set up afterwards, sticking them up in the ground. And when the king and his men came to these two poles, they struck all their lances up in the ground, and came on unarmed, leaving their lances, as also their bows and arrows, behind them. This was to satisfy us that they were come as friends, and we were glad to see it, for we had no mind to quarrel with them if we could help it. The captain of this gang, seeing some of our men making up their huts, and that they did it but bunglingly, he beckoned to some of his men to go and help us. Immediately fifteen or sixteen of them came and mingled among us, and went to work for us. And indeed they were better workmen than we were, for they run up three or four huts for us in a moment, and much handsomer done than ours. After this they sent us milk, plantains, pumpkins, and abundance of roots and greens that were very good, and then took their leave, and would not take anything from us that we had. One of our men offered the king, or captain, of these men, a dram, which he drank, and was mightily pleased with it, and held out his hand for another, which we gave him, and, in a word, after this, he hardly failed coming to us two or three times a week, always bringing us something or other, and one time sent us seven head of black cattle, some of which we cured and dried as before. And here I cannot but remember one thing, which afterwards stood us in great stead, viz., that the flesh of their goats, and their beef also, but especially the former, when we had dried and cured it, looked red, and ate hard and firm, as dried beef in Holland. They were so pleased with it, 
and it was such a dainty to them, that at any time after they would trade with us for it, not knowing, or so much as imagining what it was, so that for ten or twelve pounds weight of smoke-dried beef they would give us a whole bullock, or cow, or anything else we could desire. Here we observed two things that were very material to us, even essentially so. First, we found they had a great deal of earthenware here, which they made use of many ways as we did. Particularly, they had long, deep earthen pots, which they used to sink into the ground, to keep the water, which they drunk, cool and pleasant. And the other was, that they had larger canoes than their neighbors had. By this we were prompted to inquire if they had no larger vessels than those we saw here, or if any other of the inhabitants had not such. They signified presently that they had no larger boats than that they showed us, but that on the other side of the island they had larger boats, and that with decks upon them, and large sails, and this made us resolve to coast round the whole island to see them. So we prepared and victualled our canoe for the voyage, and, in a word, went to sea for the third time. It cost us a month or six weeks' time to perform this voyage, in which time we went on shore several times for water and provisions, and found the natives always very free and courteous, but we were surprised one morning, early, being at the extremity of the northernmost part of the island, when one of our men cried out, A sail! A sail! We presently saw a vessel a great way out at sea, but after we had looked at it with our perspective glasses, and endeavored all we could to make out what it was, we could not tell what to think of it, for it was neither ship, catch, galley, galliot, or like anything that we had ever seen before. All that we could make of it was that it went from us, standing out to sea. In a word, we soon lost sight of it, for we were in no condition to chase anything, and we never saw it again. But by all that we could perceive of it, from what we saw of such things afterwards, it was some Arabian vessel which had been trading to the coast of Mozambique, or Zanzibar, the same place where we afterwards went, as you shall hear. I kept no journal of this voyage, nor, indeed, did I all this while understand anything of navigation, more than the common business of a foremast man so I can say nothing to the latitudes or distances of any places we were at, how long we were going, or how far we sailed in a day. But this I remember, that being now come round the island, we sailed up the eastern shore due south, as we had done down the western shore due north before. Nor do I remember that the natives differed much from one another, either in stature or complexion, or in their manners, their habits, their weapons, or indeed in anything. And yet we could not perceive 
that they had any intelligence one with another. But they were extremely kind and civil to us on this side, as well as on the other. We continued our voyage south for many weeks, though with several intervals of going on shore to get provisions and water. At length, coming round a point of land which lay about a league further than ordinary into the sea, we were agreeably surprised with a sight which, no doubt, had been as disagreeable to those concerned, as it was pleasant to us. This was the wreck of a European ship, which had been cast away upon the rocks, which in that place run a great way into the sea. We could see plainly at low water, a great deal of the ship lay dry, even at high water she was not entirely covered, and that, at most, she did not lie above a league from the shore. It will easily be believed that our curiosity led us, the wind and weather also permitting, to go directly to her, which we did without any difficulty, and presently found that it was a Dutch-built ship, and that she could not have been very long in that condition a great deal of the upper work of her stern remaining firm, with the mizzenmast standing. Her stern seemed to be jammed in between two ridges of the rock, and so remained fast, all the fore part of the ship having been beaten to pieces. We could see nothing to be gotten out of the wreck that was worth our while, but we resolved to go on shore and stay some time thereabouts, to see if perhaps we might get any light into the story of her, and we were not without hopes that we might hear something more particular about her men, and perhaps find some of them on shore there, in the same condition that we were in, and so might increase our company. It was a very pleasant sight to us when, coming on shore, we saw all the marks and tokens of a ship-carpenter's yard, as a launch-block and cradles, scaffolds and planks, and pieces of planks, the remains of the building a ship or vessel, and, in a word, a great many things that fairly invited us to go about the same work, and we soon came to understand that the men belonging to the ship that was lost, had saved themselves on shore, perhaps in their boat, and had built themselves a bark or sloop, and so were gone to sea again. And, inquiring of the natives which way they went, they pointed to the south and southwest, by which we could easily understand they were gone away to the Cape of Good Hope. Nobody will imagine we could be so dull as not to gather from hence that we might take the same method for our escape. So we resolved first, in general, that we would try if possible to build us a boat of one kind or other, and go to sea as our fate should direct. In order to this our first work was to have the two carpenters search about to see what materials the Dutchmen had left behind them that might be of use, and, in particular, they found one that was very useful, and which I was much employed about, 
and that was a pitch-kettle, and a little pitch in it. When we came to set close to this work, we found it very laborious and difficult, having but few tools, no ironwork, no cordage, no sails, so that, in short, whatever we built, we were obliged to be our own smiths, rope-makers, sail-makers, and indeed to practice twenty trades that we knew little or nothing of. However, necessity was the spur to invention, and we did many things which, before we thought, impracticable, that is to say, in our circumstances. After our two carpenters had resolved upon the dimensions of what they would build, they set us all to work, to go off in our boats, and split up the wreck of the old ship, and to bring away everything we could, and particularly that, if possible, we should bring away the mizzen-mast, which was left standing, which, with much difficulty, we effected, after above twenty days of labour of fourteen of our men. At the same time we got out a great deal of ironwork, as bolts, spikes, nails, etc., all of which our artist, of whom I have spoken already, who was now grown a very dexterous smith, made us nails and hinges for our rudder, and spikes such as we wanted. But we wanted an anchor, and if we had had an anchor, we could not have made a cable. So we contented ourselves with making some ropes, with the help of the natives, of such stuff as they made their mats of. And with these, we made such a kind of cable or tow-line as was sufficient to fasten our vessel to the shore, which we contented ourselves with for that time. To be short, we spent four months there, and worked very hard, too, at the end of which time we launched our frigate, which, in a few words, had many defects, but yet all things considered, it was as well as we could expect it to be. In short, it was a kind of sloop, of the burthen of near eighteen or twenty tons, and had we had masts and sails, standing and running rigging, as is usual in such cases, and other conveniences, the vessel might have carried us wherever we could have had a mind to go. But of all the materials we wanted, this was the worst, viz. that we had no tar or pitch to pay the seams and secure the bottom, and though we did what we could, with tallow and oil, to make a mixture to supply that part, yet we could not bring it to answer our end fully, and when we launched her into the water, she was so leaky, and took in the water so fast, that we thought all our labor had been lost, for we had much ado to make her swim, and as for pumps, we had none, nor had we any means to make one. But, at length, one of the natives, a black negro man, showed us a tree, the wood of which, being put into the fire, sends forth a liquid that is as glutinous and almost as strong as tar, and of which, by boiling, we made a sort of stuff which served us for pitch, and this answered our end effectually. 
for we perfectly made our vessel sound and tight, so that we wanted no pitch or tar at all. This secret has stood me instead upon many occasions since that time in the same place. End of section 5 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox